that is our prayer this morning, isn't it? That in our lives, in our homes, in our church, that the, the Lord would be glorified. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We're going to be continuing on with our uh, sermon series. We've been going through the book of Philippians. And today's sermon is titled, Counting the Cost. Counting the Cost of What It Means to Follow. And we're going to look at this in a, a different way than we may typically think of that. Uh, we typically think of counting the cost by looking at what it means uh, to follow. When Jesus says, you must count the cost before you follow me, we're going to count the cost uh, maybe in a different way this morning. But as we think about it being Mother's Day today, we remember that all mothers have to count and pay a cost, don't they? I think about my own mom, and throughout my life there are many ways that she's had to sacrifice for me. And you can probably think in your life, you're a mother, or maybe you're a mother, and you think of the ways you've sacrificed for your children, right? I can think of all of the, the late nights or the early mornings of having to do laundry for, for baseball to get all my uniform clean for the next night, and then staying late for those nights of those games, then going home doing the laundry for the next game the next day. And all of the different ways that, that they would put up with. And even today, you never stop being a mom, right? Even today, when, when Eliza's sick or when Barrett's sick, we'll call him in the middle of the night and ask what's going on because she's a nurse. And she'll help us and give us advice of, oh, that she probably needs to go to the doctor or maybe she just give her this or that. And, and so we, we thank you, mothers, for, for counting the cost and for paying the cost. Um, because without the effort and the love that you guys put in, we wouldn't be the people that we are today. So... With that, as we think about what it means to follow, let's read Philippians 3, 1 through 11. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who, by, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I can also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ." The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word, for the example that we can see in it, what you call us to do. And God, as we work through these, these verses in the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll help us to see what your word holds for us and how we can follow you more 
faithfully today. God, I pray that you would just remove all distractions, that you remove anything that would get in the way of us being obedient to you, of seeing who you are, and and being more faithful to you in our lives, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we're remembering that we're looking at the people in Philippi at a specific time and the issues that they are dealing with. So he starts off talking about how he's rejoicing and it's not a burden for him to write to them and to give them these instructions and to encourage them and to show them how to follow Christ faithfully. And he gets into an issue that is not an issue that we are specifically dealing with, but we're going to learn about how we can deal with similar situations and to guard our own hearts and to guard ourselves from those around us. He tells them, to watch out. So the issue at hand, what is the issue at hand? It tells them to watch out for the dogs, for the evil workers, for those who mutilate the flesh. The issue at hand is self-righteous legalism. So they, the, the, the Philippians are dealing with people that are coming and are talking to them, that are teaching them, that are instructing them from a place of self-righteous legalism. So the first call, watch out. Watch out. He, this indicates that there are people there that are coming to do something, and you will, you will not always see them or expect them. The thing about false perspectives, about false gospels, if you've been following the, uh, the, the, the literature that comes through the SBC that we have, today we dealt with this, right? Talking about the false prophets, the false messiahs. They're deceptive in nature. If something's not true, pretty obviously, you don't believe it, right? If you got a phone call, left a voicemail, said, hey, just want to let you know, you've won a million dollars. All you need to do is give your bank account information uh, and, and just send it right here. Don't worry about it. You'll have a million dollars. That's pretty clearly not going to be true, right? So every day, what do we see? It's the scams and all of these things. You get phone calls and emails and messages. I've, people will clone your Facebook account. They try to be deceptive. They want it to be as realistic as possible, as believable as possible. So Paul is telling them here, watch out, be aware, because the false teachers, those who are coming against you, the ones that are going to be proclaiming things that aren't true, are going to be deceptive. It's not going to be overly apparent. It's not going to be a false religion just teaching you, hey, this is the truth. It's, it's very deceptive. So you have to watch out. You have to be aware we consider the way that they work, that they're deceptive like that. We must be vigilant in order not to be deceived. So who are we to watch out for? The dogs, the evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh. So what does this mean? We, this is not something we are specifically dealing with at this time. But in the church at Philippi, there were those. Uh, they were also called the circumcision party or those who were the Judaizers. They were people that were trying to enforce being a Jew upon Gentile Christians. So what does that mean? We're going to break it down a little bit. It stems from God's covenant with Abram. In Genesis 17, 1 through 8, we see this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I'll set up my covenant covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring 
through their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. And, and God goes on to tell Abraham that the sign, Abraham's sign of his side of this covenant is to be circumcision, and that every male would be circumcised on the eighth day. Any, any male convert that, that came in, any person that was not Jewish that was brought in would be circumcised as well. So the issue at hand, right, and even today, if someone wants to convert to Judaism, they have to be circumcised. This is a part of, of following that religion. And so this is the early church. They are coming to follow Christ. And so when these believers have believed in Christ, these people of, of the, the Judaizers, they're telling them, hey, you must also be circumcised. It's, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you have to do this thing also. But this is an issue uh, that, that has already been settled. In Acts chapter 15, this was probably about 10 years prior to the writing of Philippians. In, in Acts chapter 15, 7 through 11, it says this, After there had been much debate, they're, issue, they're, they're talking about what do the Gentile believers need to do. right? So the believers have come back, they've said, hey, the, the Gentiles have believed, they've received the Holy Spirit, we see the work in their life. So what do they need to do? After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to, to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the, the Gentiles would hear the message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. And so they decide that, that the, the Gentile believers do not have to be circumcised. They don't have to convert to Judaism to follow Christ. That the, the work has been done by Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's not about how hard we work. It's not about doing certain things. The work has been done by Jesus. He says here that the salvation is by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And both of them have been saved in the same way. And that's what we see right in, in Romans 1.16, that, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I believe it's the power of God for salvation, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. There's no distinction. And this ties in perfectly with what Paul says in Romans 3.20-22. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. This word, there's no distinction, is all about how no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, what you've believed before, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust Him for your salvation, then you can be saved. It's the whosoever will believe. It doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter if someone was a part of a different religion. doesn't matter how they grew up. That if you believe in Jesus for your salvation, you understand that you're a sinner, you trust Him to save you, to forgive you, you submit to Him as your Lord, then you can be saved. Salvation is justification, being made right before God by Christ through faith, not justification by the law in what we do. 
There is no special status of the Jew versus the Gentile, which is good news to most of us because I don't think very many of us have a a Jewish descendancy in our lives. We may have some in our family tree, but not very many people I know in here that are are, uh, culturally Jewish in this room. However, and this is where we get to, this is the issue that's at hand for the Philippians. There are still people, even though the apostles, the leaders of the church, had, had been, it had been revealed to them by God that they were not supposed to do this, there are still people trying to impose this restriction on the Gentile believers. So what does this mean for us today? The real issue is that these people had, was that their, their previous status they held as valuable and they wanted to impose it on the Gentiles. They were self-righteous because of their claim to the old covenant, and they were legalistic by seeking to impose that old covenant onto the Gentile believers. Okay, so these people valued that they were Jewish. They valued this claim they had to faith in God prior to Christ. They said, man, look, I have this thing that is better than you. My life is better than yours. My faith is better than yours because I'm not only believing in Jesus, but I am properly following in the old covenant. And so they seek to say, follow Jesus and. For them, in this situation, it was follow Jesus and be circumcised. But in this life, today, we still see these problems that can, that can raise up. We need to watch out to look out for people who are self-righteous and legalistic. And the reality is that almost all who are legalistic are self-righteous, and almost all who are self-righteous are legalistic. Let me explain that a little bit. If you are being legalistic about something, imposing something on people, a follow Jesus and, it's probably because you have that that you can point to in your life, right? It's like, well, hey, if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to be a Christian, you must live your life this certain way. You must do this specific thing. And they likely look to themselves as an example. In the same way, if you're self-righteous, if you hold yourself as higher than others because of something you do, you likely look down at others because they're not doing the same thing. So we need to watch out for those who are being self-righteous and legalistic. What are the ways that this happens in our lives? What are the ways this happens today? It could be anything, right? How many people have walked away because someone told them that they weren't good enough for this reason or that reason in church? Maybe it's what we wear, maybe it's the way people, what background they come from. What ways do, do people have, feel the burden of, of legalism where they have to do another thing? They have to do this, they have to do that. We need to make sure that we're not being those people. And, and I want to make a clear distinction here. There's a big difference between calling people to be faithful and obedient, because we're going to get to that later. There's a big difference between calling people to be faithful and obedient and imposing something as a prerequisite for salvation. Because that's the issue that the Philippians are dealing with, that if they don't do this thing, they are not Christians. They aren't following Christ. When we look at people, or if if people look at us and they say, you are not a Christian if you do this or if you do that, that's a problem. How does Scripture say we're justified? By grace, through faith, by what Jesus has done. 
now, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, this is not a license to do whatever you want. Because if you have been saved, what will fill you? What was the evidence in, in Acts chapter 15? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changes our heart, changes our life to follow Him faithfully. And there's a passage we're going to get to next week, but we're going we're to talk about it briefly. Therefore, all of us who are mature should think this way. And, all, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. This is the hope we know, that, that if people disagree about what it means to follow Christ, our prayer is that through the Holy Spirit, through faithful adherence to God's Word, that we will see a reconciliation of these differences. We might disagree about this or that, but we'll see a reconciliation of these differences. So we need to make sure that we aren't being self-righteous and legalistic, looking down upon people, because all they have to do is believe in what Christ has done. And then our prayer is, our confidence is that through the Holy Spirit and through discipleship, they will come to look like Christ. But for salvation, the only thing that is necessary is the blood of Christ. Think about the song that we sing, right? Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How strange would it be if we were to say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus in doing this particular thing. It's just Jesus. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And we believe that. We know that. So what do we do with the rest of this passage? Because he says that, that we shouldn't have confidence in the flesh. And that's what these people had the issue of. They were taking confidence in their flesh, their own ability to be righteous. And they were self-righteous in it. And, and Paul says, if anyone has a reason to be righteous, it's me but I lay it down. So we see that following Christ costs everything. Following Christ costs everything. We're talking about counting the cost, and and the cost is all that we are, everything. It means that we must lay down our pride. It means we must lay down our pride. We tend to be people of pride. You know, pride is what keeps us from asking for directions when we get lost. Pride is what keeps us from asking for help when we need it. It's the idea that we have it all figured out and we don't need any outside help. To lay down pride is is to realize that we can't do it all on our own. And we look here and we see the way that Paul laid down his pride. He says, For we we are the circumcision, the ones whose worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of of Christ. So here's what we see here. Paul is saying, if anyone had a reason to be proud of the way they lived their life, the way that they followed God, the way that they sought to be obedient and to justify themselves, I did it as good as anyone ever did. Paul said, I was born in the right family. I did everything that was required of me as best I could. When those came that threatened what I believed, I persecuted them. 
And so when Paul follows Christ, what does he have to do? He has to lay all of that aside, to lay down his pride. Everything he claimed to and held to must be laid aside. Following Christ is an act of surrender, surrendering who we are, what we've been trying to do, the way we've been trying to justify ourselves, and to surrender. You've probably heard the phrase, to throw in the towel. Uh, and you may not realize, but this is an actual, it's not just a, something that people say, it's actually something that's used in sports. So in the, in the sport of boxing, when, when one team, one side, wants to end the match, maybe their, their person that's fighting is, is losing so bad, they know that it's going to be bad for them to continue, and the, re- the referee hasn't stopped the fight yet, they can throw the towel into the ring as an act of surrender to say, it's over, please stop the match. It's an act of surrender. Uh, probably the earliest citation of this was in a, in a newspaper in 1913. Murphy went after him, talking about a fight, landing right and left undefended against an undefended face. The crowd import, importuned referee Griffin to stop the fight, and a towel was thrown from Burns' corner as a token of defeat. When we follow Christ, we surrender to Him. We are surrendering to Him, to follow Him. It's saying that everything I've worked for, everything that I have tried to do is not able to make me righteous. Every good deed I've done, no matter what way I may think I'm a good person, because if you ask people that, we've talked about that before, if you ask people, are you a good person, the vast majority of people will say yes. Because in their mind, they can look and point to whatever things they feel makes them a good person. Whatever we do, when we follow Christ, we say all of these things, they don't mean anything. No matter how, may, now, no matter how hard I may have tried to be a good person, no matter, matter how hard I may have worked, we realize we're admitting defeat. It's not enough. I need to trust Christ. When we follow Christ, we must lay all of that down, take the righteousness that He freely gives rather than claiming any righteousness of our own. This is what it means to boast in Christ. Paul says in this passage that, that we boast in Christ Jesus. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to boast in Christ Jesus? It's to say, it's to not point to myself and say, I am the reason. Right? I did this. I did that. It's to point to Him and say, He did this. He did that. Whatever salvation I have, whatever goodness is in me, it is because of what Jesus has done for me. We can't point here if we're a Christian. If someone asks you, why are you different? Why, why, are, you, why are you so confident in this salvation? We can't point. It's not because I have believed. It's not because of what I have done. It is because of what Jesus has done for me. And so we boast in the cross. We boast in the cross of Christ. This is what it means to surrender, to lay down pride. We lay aside all of our hard work and we accept the gift of Christ. And we also don't try to take any credit for what He has done. Rather, we point to the one who has accomplished this work. Again, Paul says that whatever he had that was a gain, all of those things he listed, he counts as a loss 
for Christ. He lays all those things down. He surrenders them. We see this example in every person that followed Christ in Scripture. Right? The disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, they left their nets. They left their career. They left their life of sin and they followed Christ. Whatever they valued, whatever they held as dear, they counted it as loss. And not only that, but Paul considers everything he says to be a loss. Not only, he says, more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to focus on that, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you view your relationship with God in that way as being of surpassing value, of greater than any other thing you can have or attain in this life? Christ is better. You see, we make value-based decisions every single day. Today, if you're sitting here, you made the decision that no matter how you were feeling this morning, no matter what other things you could be doing, you made the decision that the time here was what you needed to be doing. This was the most important thing you could be doing right now. You may have heard many people, right, that they'll say, well, I just don't have time to do this, or I just don't have time to do that. Oftentimes it might be with, with exercise, right? I don't have time to exercise. And the response people often give is that if it mattered, you would make time. And we do that, right? When something that really matters to us comes up, we make the time for it. And then there are several things in our lives. Every day we have to make decisions and figure out what we're willing to sacrifice and what we want to hold on to. When you walk into a restaurant and they say it's going to be a 45-minute wait, you have to decide, is it worth that 45 minutes? And sometimes it will be. You don't have anything else going on. Sometimes it's not. You've got to get you got somewhere to be, so you go somewhere else. When there's a big purchase you want to make, maybe it's a new vehicle or upgrade, move to a different house, you have to make a decision. Is this how I want to spend this money, or would it be better spent somewhere else? That extra slice of cake, is it worth the higher number on the scale, or should you pass that day? We make value judgments every single day. And you've probably all heard or been told or said the phrase, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And there's really only a handful of events that fall into this category. Your children's birth being one of those things. We've all seen movies that are all kind of based around that, right? Where the, the husband gets the call that the wife's going into labor and he has to like drive across the entire country to try to make it there in time. You don't want to miss it. Whatever you're doing, it's not worth missing that. You lay it all down. If you're at your job, you leave your job. You want to be there for the birth of your child. So what Paul is saying here is that everything, all the things I've accomplished, but not just that, anything that there is, I count as a loss compared to knowing the surpassing goodness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Anything you can put in front of me, pass. I just want Jesus. He goes further than that. He goes on, he says, I consider them as dung. It's not usually a word you hear in a sermon. But he wants to make this distinction clear. Jesus Christ is here. Everything else is nothing. Whatever else you might be pursuing, it's not worth it. Whatever else you're chasing in your life, it's not worth it. 
the only thing that is worth it, the only thing that is worth pursuing in this life is Jesus Christ. And then through that, we fulfill responsibilities. We still, are, we still seek to be good mothers and fathers and, and work hard, but it should be that because we know Christ, those things are informed by that. It's not that we go sit in a room and, and do nothing else, but everything we do is informed by our pursuit of knowing who Jesus is. If you're seeking to know who Jesus is, that calls you to be the best parent you can be. It calls you to be the best employee, the best person you can be because you're seeking to be righteous like Him. It's not a close comparison. You know, one of the songs that the choir performed recently is, Is He Worthy? Right? Is He worthy of honor and praise? Is He worthy of your life? Of everything? And the answer is that He is. He is. He is worthy. Paul's answer to this was that He is more worthy than anything. And our answer should be that He is worthy of all things. And not only is He worthy of it, but in Him we find the very thing that we couldn't attain on our own. The debt we couldn't pay we find erased because following Christ means the cost is already paid. Following Christ may mean a loss or or counting things as loss, pursuing Christ above all things, but we realize also that those things we were pursuing were leading nowhere. We were driving full speed down a dead-end road, whether it was chasing worldly things that when we die we can't take with us, whether it was chasing our own righteousness, trying to be good enough to earn salvation, it's not going to get us there. When we trust Christ, we know Him and can have salvation because of Him. So in Philippians 3, 9 we see, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. This is the beauty of following Christ. It's the perfect culmination of of salvation. Not only is He worthy of all things, and far greater than anything else we can possibly imagine, He gives us the greatest thing we cannot attain on our own. But this salvation is for all who believe, Jew, Gentile, a person who considers themselves righteous, a person who considers themselves a sinner. Any person has equal access to God through what Christ has done, through the salvation and forgiveness. And this is the difficulty. There are people that will struggle for different reasons when it comes to coming to Christ. The parable of the prodigal son that we hear so often most often we think about how the person that went and lived this crazy life is welcomed back by the father. But there's another son there. The one who was angry that the father forgave the sinful son. Some people, like Paul's talking about, he had to lay aside his pride. He was like the older son. Lay aside every claim to righteousness he had and submit to Christ. And there's some people that are like the prodigal son that find themselves like that son did in in the pit of their sin, wallowing with the pigs. He was literally with the pigs, wishing to eat what they were eating. And he had to make the decision to lay down his pride and to go and ask for forgiveness. There's not a person that's too far gone. There's not a person that's too self-righteous to be forgiven by Christ. We lay down and surrender. We lay down our pride and we believe in Christ 
We rely on Him instead of ourselves. And what He delivers is far better than anything else we could possibly hope to produce on our own. Philippians 3, 10 through 11 says this, My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. We can know and be confident that we will secure salvation when we have trusted Christ because He has done the work. Not us, but Him. If you rely on yourself, you're going to fail. But God will never fail you. The cost, of being, the cost being paid will not only lead to our eternal reward, but freedom in this life. Romans 5 through 7, if you haven't read Romans in a while, I would encourage you to do that. Romans 5 through 7 gives a, a beautiful picture of the freedom that we have in Christ, particularly in chapter 6. It discusses the idea that we are dead to sin and we are freed from sin. We were once fl- slaves to sin, but we are now free. Romans six ten through 14 says it this way. For the death he died, talking about Christ, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any part of it as sin, uh, any part of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Everything we might have worked for, the overcoming of sin in our life to be a good person, is found in the righteousness of Christ. So what we were hoping to attain, to be a good person, to be righteous, to be able to say that, that I, to stand before God and to be justified, that's found in Christ. It's not just the salvation that we have, but freedom from the bondage of sin. Because if you've tried to live and to, to earn salvation through your own righteousness, you've become aware of just how much you fall short, just how many times you fail, and just how many times you're not loving in the way you should be. But there's freedom from that in Christ. There's freedom from the shame because the price has been paid. There's freedom not to have to work for your salvation, but rather to live freely and embrace the salvation Christ gives and to live a life for righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit, rather than seeking to work and to earn. We talked about this at the beginning. We cannot be legalistic or self-righteous when it comes to salvation. When someone is a person that's lost in this world, we don't tell them, clean up your life, and then you can get saved. They get saved, and then when they follow Christ, their life should and will be cleaned up through their obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what we say, the surrender, this, this surrender to God means we lay all things down. That's not just the things that we hold as valuable, but that's also the sinful things. We acknowledge that the victory is won, the price is paid, and we simply seek to follow in obedience. This is because we are not under the law, but under grace. We aren't trapped in the cycle of trying to be good enough. We've already been given the righteousness of Christ. We no longer have to overcome sin for ourselves, for our salvation. Christ said, 
It is finished. We have to be obedient and allow God to work in us. And when we struggle, when we battle, we turn to the one that paid the price, not to ourselves. If you're struggling and battling, you turn to God, not to yourself, not to try harder, not to be better, but to turn and to to know God more, to forsake those things, to, to love God more and allow Him to work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, as we're coming to our time of invitation, I want to challenge you with that phrase. We have this invitation every Sunday. What does it mean? It's, it's not just a time for a person that doesn't know Christ to be saved. It's a time to do that. This morning, if you don't know Christ, if you've been trying to be a good person, trying to, to earn your salvation, trying to work harder to be better, it's not going to be good enough. I'm not good enough. No one here is good enough. No one that you know is good enough. But Christ paid the price so that you might be saved. This is a time to respond and to do that. To come forward, to to say, I surrender. I want to be saved and, and to follow in obedience and baptism. But it's not just for that. It's a time for you to look at yourself. To look at your life. To say, am I following Christ faithfully? Am I doing what He calls me to do? Am I counting all things as loss, or am I holding on to things and and valuing them as much or more than I value Christ? Am I living my life in a way that shows that Christ is worth more to me than everything? Are you living your life in a way that honors God? This is a time to reflect on that, to to seek Him in prayer, to turn away from something that you may see in your life that, that maybe isn't good, to, to follow Him, to commit to following Him faithfully. And so as Becky comes and we have this time of invitation, I want to ask you these questions. Have you surrendered to Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you made Him your Lord and Savior? Have you understood your sin and, and that you cannot earn salvation by believing in Jesus? And if you haven't, today is the day. And if you have trusted Him, are you following Him faithfully? Are you imposing any, are you, have you, do you have any self-righteousness within you? Lay it aside. Do you hold on any to any legalistic Jesus and type thoughts? Lay those things aside. Are there places you need to be more faithful since following Him? commit to that today. Seek Him. Don't work harder from yourself, but seek Him to help you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I pray that as we have this time of invitation, that wherever we are, and and all of us are in a place with you this morning, none of us are exempt from examining our lives and from seeing how we can be more faithful, how we can love you more, how we can share you with the world. God, I pray that each and every one of us would be convicted in some way of how we can be more faithful to you, how we can live out the truth we see in Scripture, God. And I pray that if anyone here does not know you, that today would be the day they would follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, and and the altar will be open for prayer, and, and I will be down here as well.